Five years later, the second book opens with a description of the venerable Delson's bank. Its darkness and discomfort are much beloved by those who work there. Indeed, their conviction that it should remain inconvenient and deteriorating is so strong that they would have disinherited a son who disagreed with them. Jerry Cruncher, who delivered the message on horseback to Mr. Lorry, serves as an odd job man for Tilson's. He lives in Whitefriars in a tiny apartment kept immaculate by his wife. He abuses his wife roundly for kneeling to pray, insinuating that her prayers interfere with the success of his business. He enlists the aid of his admiring son to prevent Mrs. Cruncher from praying against him. When she tries to pray, her son reveals her transgression to his father. The young cruncher follows his father to work and he wonders where the rust on the straw his father is chewing comes from. His job at Telson's does not involve rust, yet Jerry Cruncher is always rusty. Aside, an old clerk at Telson's gives Jerry Cruncher a message to deliver to Mr. Laurie at Old Bailey, where Charles Darney is being tried. Jerry makes his way to the trial and is reassured by an onlooker that this is indeed the treason case. The man gruesomely describes the quartering that is certain to follow as punishment. When the young gentleman prisoner Charles Darney is brought in, the whole courtroom stares at him. He had pleaded not guilty the previous day. Darney's gaze rests immediately on Dr. Manet and his daughter who are to be witnesses for the prosecution. A disappointment. Charles Darnay is charged with shuttling back and forth between France and England in order to spy. John Barsad, who was his friend, is the chief witness against him. Darnay was allegedly involved in traitorous activities as far back as five years ago during the outbreak of the American Revolution. Mr. Laurie is called to give evidence against Charles Darnay and he identifies Darnay as the man who came on board in the middle of the night at Calais on the way from France to England. Miss Manette is called and though she identifies him, she strongly regrets that her evidence could bring him any harm. Lucy testifies that the prisoner confided in her that he was travelling under an assumed name on a delicate business. Dr. Manette testifies that he also recognises the man. The case is thrown into uproar and made fruitless, however, when a Mr. Carton reveals himself. Carton looks so much like Darnay that a positive identification of the defendant is made impossible. Darnay's defense counsel, Mr. Striver, shows that Barsad himself was a traitor. The jury deliberates for a long time. Lucy faints and is taken out of the courthouse. Mr. Laurie tells Jerry to remain to take the verdict to Telson's. Jerry receives a piece of paper on which it is written that Darnay is acquitted. Congratulatory Dr. Manette, Lucy, Mr. Laurie, the solicitor for the defense and Mr. Striver all congratulate Darnay on his escape from death. Dr. Manette's face is clouded over by the negative emotions caused by being cross-examined about being imprisoned. The Manettes depart in a hackney coach and a slightly drunk Mr. Carton asks to be allowed to speak to Mr. Darnay. They dine in a tavern and Mr. Carton proposes a toast to Miss Manette. After Darnay leaves, Mr. Carton looks at himself in the mirror 
and reflects that he does not like Dane because he too much resembles what Carton himself could have been, had Carton not been so dissolute. He hates Dane for inspiring Miss Manet to look at him with such compassion. The Jackal Mr. Striver is prone to alcoholism and his drinking companion of Mr. Carton's. They had been fellow students in Paris. Mr. Striver, despite all of his capacity to push himself ahead, became a much more successful lawyer when Mr. Carton began working on and helping summarize his documents for him. Thus, Carton becomes Striver's jackal. When Striver talks about how pretty Miss Manette is, Carton denies it, claiming she is nothing but a blonde doll. Carton leaves Striver's house and returns to his own, crying himself to sleep. He is haunted by the honourable glories that once were available to him but are now out of his reach. Hundreds of people Four months after the trial, Mr. Lorry dines with the Manets. The Manets live in Soho, a charming part of London, not yet fully urbanised. Dr. Manet has revived his medical practice out of the house and lives comfortably. He converses with Miss Pross, who is upset because, as she terms it, hundreds of people come looking for Miss Manet, whom she calls My Lady Bird. Although Miss Pross thinks they do not deserve her, Mr. Lorry recognizes Miss Pross's devotion and values her more highly than wealthier women who have balances at Telson's. He questions Miss Pross about whether Dr. Manet knows the identity of the person who caused him to be jailed for so long. She thinks she does. When Lucy and her father arrive, Miss Pross fusses over the girl, arranging her bonnet and smoothing her hair. Miss Pross had scored the neighborhood for French expatriates to teach her cooking tricks, and she is now considered a sorceress in the kitchen. After dinner, Mr. Dane comes to call Dr. Manet, is in good humor until he gets flustered when Dane tells a story about the Tower of London in which many prisoners' initials were carved. The only ones that couldn't be matched by a former prisoner were D.I.G., which the guards figured was an imperative to dig. They dug, but found only remains of a possible letter. Mr. Carton joins the party as it moves inside, out on a rainstorm. Lucy tells of her fancy that the footsteps that echo outside her house are the footsteps of people to come in and out of her life. Mr. Carton observes that this vision represents a great number of people who really will be in her life. Monsieur in town. Monsieur is a powerful lord of France who holds receptions every two weeks in his hotel in Paris. It takes four men to master the ceremony necessary to serve him his morning chocolate. His idea of general public business is to let things go their own way and his idea of specific public business is for things to go whatever way is most profitable for him. Mosier found that these principles, in addition to the reduction of his finances, made it advantageous for him to ally himself with a farmer general by marrying his sister to Warren. Everyone in his court is unreal because none knows how to do a lick of work that is useful to anyone else. The Marquis de Evermont, also known as the Mosier, condemns him as he leaves and then rides away in his own carriage. Mosier's carriage, driving recklessly fast, runs down and kills a child. 
The Marquis gives Gaspard, the child's father, a gold coin and gives Defarge another gold coin for making the philosophical observation that the child is better off dead. As the Marquis is driving away, Defarge throws the coin back at the carriage. Upper class people continue to drive through St. Antoine as the poor and hungry look on. Monsieur in the country. The Marquis continues driving in his carriage through another poor village. This one made destitute opai over taxation. He stops and demands to speak with one of the villagers, asking him why he stared so intently as the Marquis drove up the hill. The man replies that there was a man under the carriage hanging from the shoe. He describes the man as white as a miller and tall as a ghost. The villagers claim that when the carriage stopped, the man underneath dived head first over the hillside. The Marquis loses patience with the story and asks Monsieur Gable, the postmaster, to put the villagers out of his sight. The Marquis sets off again but is waylaid by a woman with a petition. Her husband has died and she wishes for a piece of wood or stone to mark his grave. Too many have died and become heaps of unmarked earth. He pushes away from her without replying and continues the journey to his chateau. When he arrives, he asks if Monsieur Charles has yet arrived from England. The Gorgon's head. The chateau is all stone as if a Gorgon's head had looked at it. Monsieur sits down to dinner after complaining that his nephew has not yet arrived. When Charles Darnay does arrive, Monsieur observes that he has taken a long time coming from London. Darnay accuses Monsieur of an effort to have him imprisoned in France with a letter de cachet. Monsieur does not deny this, but he complains about the inaccessibility of such measures and the privileges that the aristocracy has lost. He considers repression to be the only effective and lasting policy. Dani replies that their family has done wrong and will pay the consequences. Dani renounces his property and France. Monsieur mocks him for having not been more successful in England, then mentions the doctor and his daughter but ominously refuses to say more. Owls howl through the night and when the sun rises, its slanting angle makes the chateau fountain seem full of blood. The villagers wake up first to start their toil and the occupants of the chateau awake later. But when they do rise, they engage in frenzied activity. Monsieur was murdered during the night. There is a knife through his heart containing a piece of paper on which it is written. Drive him fast to his tomb. This from Jacques. Thank you.